Hello and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiasny and I've been talking to Rolf Debelli. Rolf is the author of a book which urges us to stop reading the news. He argues this is the way to a calmer, happier and wiser life. He says that news is to the brain as sugar is to the body, bad for you and addictive. So how does he find out what's going on in the world that he really needs to know? My name is Rolf Dobelli. I live in Switzerland in the beautiful city of Bern, which is the capital, not Zurich is the capital, but Bern. So I'm a writer. I write books about various topics, about the art of thinking clearly, about the art of the good life, and about not reading the news. And then I run an organization called World Minds, which brings together top scientists from all over the world and mixes them together with top CEOs and uh, government leaders. And uh, that's a nonprofit, but a beautiful community. So that's what I do. So tell me, what was it that first made you think you should stop watching or listening to or reading the news? Well, the first thing was a, was an event when I was uh, a child. My parents always read the newspaper religiously and I realized that the Monday edition is about the same size, is exactly the same size as this, the Friday edition or the Monday edition, although there was no Sunday edition at that time or a weekend edition. So it, it compressed actually two days uh, at the beginning, even three days into, into a single newspaper. So if you have three days of events and you can fit it in the same amount of pages as, let's say, just a Wednesday, which you know is a, is a one day, I thought this is odd um, because the same amount of stuff is happening in the world. And But then I forgot the thought and then I realized then the, the internet came about and I became a real news junkie. All of a sudden, everything was available from all corners of the world, free of charge, later on with images, then later on with videos. And it was just a nirvana for me. But then I realized I'm spending a lot of time here. And what do I get out of it? So I asked myself two questions. Number one, after consuming so many pieces of news all the time, do I understand the world better now? And I had to say, not really. And the second one is, do I make better decisions at least for my life, personal life, private life, business life? And I also had to say no to that. And then I realized something is wrong with my news consumption. Then I decreased it step by step down to zero. And I stayed at zero for now 12 years. And what effect did that have on you when you decided to kind of gradually give up the news? Well, the first 30 days, especially if you do it fast, the first 30 days, you think you miss something. Uh, you're afraid that right around the corner, there's some big dramatic event that's going to you know, unhinge the world. Uh, but after 30 days, you realize it's not going to happen. This, this, these things are not happening. If something really important happens once, once in a year, you'll hear it from friends. But basically, you realize that it's a lot of noise. So it gave me way more time than before. I saved about one and a half hours to two hours of time each day, which is about one working day per week. It made me much more calm. Uh, I'm not as nervous as I used to be. And I think I make clear decision because I see the world more objectively, not through the lens, the distorting lens of the news media, but uh, I try to understand it more objectively. So I think I make better decisions. We have just lived through a big dramatic event that unhinged the world, to use your expression. How did you find out about the pandemic? 
oh, you know, that, that can't bypass you because everybody's talking about it. So um, eventually you'll hear it. And I heard it very early on from friends who said, look, there's something going on in China and so on. And then, of course, um, you know, I Googled it, um, but I set the tone. So I say, look, I'm going to Google it for 15 minutes and see what's going on. And then pretty soon I realized that the news media doesn't have that much great data. All of a sudden I discovered that website from Johns Hopkins University that gave us all the statistics. And later on you had the government websites that tells you that tell you what you can do and what you can't do. And also the t- statistics of, uh, of your country you live in, on the city you live in. And that's all I needed going forward. So I didn't have to, res- didn't have to go back and consume news media to know how to behave in, in, in the corona times. So you didn't just walk out in the street one day and wonder where everyone had gone? No, but I could have. And then I would have realized, okay, people are wearing masks, so maybe I ask somebody. You know, these things don't just come overnight. Um, this is a development. You see what's going on. You meet other people. You chat with other people. And really big, dramatic events, you will hear about it. Do you think there is a danger there? Obviously, you sound like someone who is able to go to the source of information and evaluate it critically for yourself. Other people might, you know, just rely on governments for information. Do you think there's a risk that, you know, by just relying on what, say, somebody like a government or other institution tells you without that sort of people like journalists calling them to account, that there is a danger that people aren't criticizing the information that they, that they receive. Of course, there is a danger. Look, there's a danger, but also there's a danger when you consume news media um, because there's a bias built in for scandalous, you know, very spicy stories and stuff that develops low-key, that is complicated to understand, that will need will not be transported through the news media. So whatever source you you rely on, you will have a bias built in, be it the government, be it the news media. So I relied on some science news, but I also relied on the government to tell me what are the rules now. You know, can I go to a restaurant? And when do I have to wear a mask? And when don't I have to wear a mask? How about public transportation? And I, I trust our government. Um, they're not perfect, but I trust these guys. And uh, because I elected them, they're not totally stupid. And so far, it turned out they've done okay decisions. I don't, you know, people always think they're smarter than the people who have to make decisions. They're smarter than the government. They're smarter than the scientists. That's rarely the case. The corona, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not not a virologist. So my level of understanding is, is way lower than the experts. So in that case, I'll trust the experts. I'll trust the experts in the government and... I could waste a lot of time, hours and thousands of hours in really digging in and understand, you know, where did the government go wrong and what did they do right? And could have they opened the economy a little bit faster or not? And should the schools have been closed or not? You know, it's not my field of business. So I followed the rules and I did that happily. 
though you are lucky to live in a country like Switzerland, where, as you say, you know, you you have an elected government and you can trust the government. Does your argument hold true if you lived in China or if you lived in North Korea? You might not be able to trust yeah. that information so clearly. Of course, but neither could you trust the media because it's also controlled by the government. So, um, you know, news consumption in China is not going to help you at all. But you don't have access to that kind of independent information. Though. That's the. That's of the course, you, you don't have access. I mean, there's the big Chinese firewall. And there's probably the big North Korean firewall. You just don't get independent information. So you're screwed anyway. You're screwed. You just have to trust the government, which most people probably don't uh, in, in, you know, in dictatorships. So you're screwed. But we live in democratically elected countries. Switzerland especially is... Is, is extremely democratic and um, is, is deciding very fact-based. And so far, I've been happy with the decisions that the government has done also for the past 20, 30 years. And I was happy to follow kind of recommendations that they put out during the corona crisis. I've seen that you have suggested that, you know, news is to the brain what sugar is to the body. What kind of scientific and health benefits do you think there are to consuming if not new, no news, then less news. Oh, you know, there's a lot of research out there um, on what it does to your brain. Um, it makes you more nervous. It, it rewires your brain. The news has has a negativity bias. Negative news or any any negative piece of information is more attractive to the brain than a positive piece of information. So, you know, a loss of, let's say, in the stock market, you lose 10 pounds that makes you unhappy the same amount as a gain would make you uh, for 20 pounds. So the upside, you need you need double the amount of upside for the same amount of bang in your brain as a downside. And that's why there's the so-called negativity bias in the news. Negative news travel much stronger. They attract much more readers. Therefore, you can sell way more advertising on the side. It attract also more su- subscribers than positive news. So there's the negativity bias in the news. And if you consume news, you'll see that about 80% of the news pieces are negative. And the more advertising-based your news source is, uh, the higher the amount of scandalous and negative news. It makes sense from a business model perspective, but it doesn't make sense to consume that stuff because it makes you depressive, it makes you anxious, it rewires the brain. You have a completely different understanding about the risks in the world. You think... The, the risks to die from, a, from an airplane crash is much higher than it actually is. But then you underestimate some risks like um, res- resistance to antibiotics. These are stories that are very hard to transport in the news, but they're real and these are big risks. So you have a, you have a distorted view of the risks in the world if you consume the news media. And the more it goes towards free news media that is advertising-driven, the, the stronger are these biases and the more distorted the view is that you will end up with about the world. But so you're not saying, though, that sort of ignorance is bliss, that you shouldn't know about what's going on in the world because, you know, you shouldn't worry yourself. I don't think that's what you're suggesting, is it? Oh, no, not at all. You should understand the world as clearly as you can. And you should understand especially the stuff that is relevant to you. So the first thing you should do, everybody should do, I should do, everybody, is to define your circle of competence. That's a, that's, a, that's a cool phrase that 
comes from Warren Buffett, the, the American investor. And, you know, it's not that important how big that circle is, but it's it's important to know roughly where the limits of your circle of competency is. And you can only be successful in the world if you're above average in some circle of competence. So you have to define your circle of competence. Some people have two or three circles. And you have a private circle also, which is, which is your family when you want to be very good there. Uh, you want to be in, in, in your profession. You want to be above average. And once you've defined your circle of competence, you automatically define what kind of information or what kind of sources of information make sense to you. So um, I don't need to know if an airplane crashed you know, the other side of the globe in Australia. I, I really don't need to know that. Uh, I don't need to know if a volcano you know, blasted out somewhere in the Caribbean. Although there are beautiful pictures about that. And uh, these stories will travel very nicely and will generate a lot of advertising revenues for the media. But I don't need to know these things. What I need to know, however, is whatever happens in my circle of competence. So people should first define their circle of competence. We only have 24 hours in a day. And you can consume everything and everything is kind of interesting. But, you know, then you don't get anything done. So... Once you have your circle of competence, then it's very clear what kind of sources you should consume. It's, and it's mostly stuff that is relevant to your job, you know, be it um, conferences, be it scientific papers, be it whatever it is you're doing. Uh, and you should leave the rest aside. You know, there's a thought experiment that I write about in my book. Let's say uh, we discovered other planets, you know, 10 other planets. A lot of interesting stuff probably happens on these other planets. Right now, we are okay not knowing about it. But just imagine we also had news from 10 other planets. And this would be also interesting stuff happening, but you would consume 24 hours of news and not get anything done. So focus on your circle of competence. So again, is there a danger there that your own biases or your own education or experience lead you not to realize something that might have an impact on you. Say, for instance, uh, if I was a literature graduate, I might say I'm not really interested in the science of climate change, but that might be something that's actually going to have a huge impact on my life and maybe I should know more about it. Yeah, you know, that is an argument, absolutely, but the downside is much bigger than the upside. Um, the downside is if you consume everything that could potentially impact your life or your, your career... Uh, you, you end up with really 24 hours and uh, of, of news consumption at a very shallow uh, understanding. And that's fine if you want to do that. But again, you, you're not going to get above average anywhere in any of your circles of competence. You have to limit. You have to you have to make some take some limits, decide on some limits for for your news consumption. You know, there there might be an upside if you totally understand climate change. But to really understand climate change, you probably have to study this thing for four years. Uh, and then, you know, that will become your circle of competence. But you can't do five or six of, or seven circles of competence in your life. It just doesn't work that way. You have to focus on one or two. And what are your other tips? I know you've written about the importance of, of thinking clearly. What other approaches do you have to you know the information that surrounds us all to try and highlight what you think is important and how you think you should think more clearly so um i think the, the best 
way to start off is, again, define your circle of competence and then see where you have biases. There are roughly 100 biases out there, decision traps that we always fall into. They all have names. They all have nice examples. I wrote in my book, The Art of Thinking, clearly about these things. The best thing is to understand yourself and to see where do you have really strong biases when you take decisions or when you look at the world. Uh, out of these 100 biases, I identified about five, six that are really strong in my life. Other people have other five or six or 10 biases. And once you, once you know yourself better in that way, once you kind of analyze yourself where you have weaknesses in your decision-making, then you can work on these things and you'll eventually get better doesn't mean you make perfect decisions all the time. I mean, I, I make a lot of mistakes, but I still think I've improved the quality of my decisions by maybe 5 or 10%, which is, already, which is already great. You can't get rid of all these biases. You can't get rid of the decision traps completely. Nobody can. We will be, we will be AI then, and we are not lucky. How do you know when you are making better decisions? Um, first of all, I know about the process. So I, I rely on the process, not so much on the outcome. So, um, the outcome is always a mixture between the process and randomness. So no matter what your decision process is, there's always a, a component of luck involved in that. So you can have a, a really bad, you, you can make a bad decision, but it turns out nicely just by chance or the other way around. And so if you focus on the process instead of the, the actual outcome, over time, you will do better. So if I have, an, if I have a good decision process, um, I know I'm on the right path, generally on, and on average. Right. So it's not always about the outcome. It's about you know, trying to get to that outcome in a, in a clear way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because randomness plays, plays in there anyway. You know, just think about stuff you have analyzed very thoroughly, and then it's still you know, it was still the wrong decision at the end. It, it turned out not so well as you planned. Or stuff you had, you know, not analyzed and it just kind of spurred a moment and it turned out beautifully. You had no process, but it was just good luck. And that's fine. Um, but I feel much more comfortable by having a good decision process, step by step, analyzing my, my biases. Do I have objective information? Are there counterfactuals that I, I have to think about and so on. And then I take a decision. And then basically, no matter what the outcome will be, good or bad, I know at least I made the right, I had the right decision process. And on average, I end up uh, with better results than if I didn't go through a, a good decision-making process. Just coming back to where we started for a second, you mentioned that, you know, when you were a child, you saw your parents read, you know, the weekend newspapers. Uh, do you think maybe that your parents actually had it right? So, you know, a generation ago, we had a limited amount of news. We'd maybe you'd read the newspaper on the weekend or you'd maybe watch one TV broadcast a day. And what's changed is, is not the news, but it's just the amount of information that we are surrounded by now that the internet exists. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, if we lived in the old times, you have one printed newspaper that comes. Actually, we, we didn't have a, a Sunday edition or a, new, a weekend edition. It was just a weekday edition. But I was amazed that on Monday, the weekday edition covered the Saturdays and Sundays also. So 
that was the same size as to as 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 a regular weekday edition. So we had Monday through Friday we had a newspaper, and it was relatively small, but it covered everything uh, that we needed to know in our little town, and I was completely happy with that. But when the internet came about, then the whole avalanche started, and then you know forget about social media. That's on top of it, and that just makes our brain crazy. Our our brain loves that stuff. And we have to we have to kind of steer our brain, not just to digest all this wonderful, sensational, graphically super, you know, uh, aggressive, uh, aggressive stuff. So we have to guide our brain. If we just let let the brain go and run with it, we would consume news twenty four hours a day. Again, we need sleep. We have a family. We need to get a job done. That's why we can't just let the brain go as it wants. So do you avoid social media as well? Should that, oh, absolutely. That thing? Absolutely. So you, so, but you don't use it for any of the other things like to connect with friends or some of the, you know, the potential positive uh, uses of it? No, because the downside is much greater than the upside. No, I completely forget. I have, I have an account just but, but basically so nobody takes my name, the handle, but I never use it. Never use Twitter, never use Facebook or any of that. And do you feel you're missing out on that at all? Or do you think your life is much, much better as it is? <laughs> I'm so much happier compared to the people who are on social media and comparing themselves all the time. Uh, no, I really, really don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm so happy not, uh, not being on social media. And have you managed, obviously you've sold, you've written many books about this. Have you managed to persuade many of your friends and family? I don't know if you have, have children as well or is... A, people grow, inevitably growing up in this world now? What effect do you think it has on them? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm that successful. I, I think not um, because it's very hard to abstain from the news. Again, people think they'll, they'll miss out completely on the next big thing. And so it's, I don't think I've convinced many people, but at least I started a debate. And, and uh, I had you know, wonderful conversations with journalists and they basically behind behind the closed door, they agree with me and say, look, what we're producing, a lot of it, what we produce is, is, is irrelevant stuff just to fill the pages and to, to attract viewers. Um, so I started a debate. I don't think I've been that successful in converting like 10% of the population to abstain from news. Um, that's not going to happen because our brain is hardwired to really soak up that stuff. Well, yeah, it's certainly a, a very interesting debate. Um, Rolf Torelli, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Been thank a pleasure. You. Thanks for listening to this Head Talks podcast. We hope you found it helpful and interesting. You can find many more talks on our website at headtalks.com or listen to our podcasts on all the usual channels.